0: together today, God, to bring glory to your name. Father, we pray that above all else that you are glorified, that you are lifted up. Father, that you receive our praise today in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. You can be seated if you are here this morning. For those of you that are joining us online, I'm super excited that you're with us, that you're watching. Uh, You know, typically when we have the uh, services like we're having today, it's, it's supposed to be a scorcher in Seattle. It's supposed to be super hot. And so usually what I say is, come on down to Faith and Victory and feel the air conditioning. But not today. Uh, I'm going to probably make this sermon last kind of long because I don't have air conditioning at my house. <laughs> so it'll be, uh, it'll be nice to be able to, to, uh, to be here and see this. I was just going to check and see how many people are... uh... Dude, we got 28 Facebook viewers. What? What's going on, Facebook viewers? Let's see. We got Lon Ledvina, Anita Alexander, Regina, Caden, Angie. We got the Rankins. We got the Rollins. Got lots of people watching today. I'm so excited that you're joining us. Um, I love you so much. I can't, for whatever reason, it doesn't let me see. It says, Lon, Anita, and 11 others. Uh, so I don't know who those other people are who are watching, but I just want to say hi to you guys that are watching. Oh, the Summers are watching at home. Todd's on there acting for faith and victory. So it's excited to see you guys. Let me see, um, let me check on YouTube really quick. The YouTubers, they don't, they don't comment as much on the YouTube I don't know if there's anybody, I, we got 32 people watching on YouTube, so we got, we got like 65 online viewers, you figure, even if there's, let's say, three people per household watching, it's like 180 people that are watching us, we, had, uh, we probably had a good maybe 100, 120 this morning at, at the parking lot service, uh, Kelly Darling, what's up, saw you on YouTube, morning fam, Robert Ross, Bob Ross here, Bob Ross, you're still doing your paintings, it's awesome, Love it. It's fantastic. That was a bad joke, Bob. I'm sorry. Anthony's there. Jumbo! Anthony, he's there. Uh, It's kind of fun to see you guys. That's why I tell you guys got to say something on there. It is live. Uh, And so as as much as it's not the same of seeing people uh, in person, uh, Chris Nelson, Angie Rocha, Mariah Narog. What's up, Narogs? Uh, it's, it's not the same, but it's fun to be able to connect with you virtually and know that I know you're watching. Uh, you know you're watching. We all know we're watching. It's fantastic. Uh, the bottom line is, is that you're here today to hear from the Lord and not from me. <clears throat> so we're going to see what God's going to do this morning. Uh, for those of you that are watching, we're, we're still working on, I think we're working towards being inside in September. Uh, It's just a few weeks away. I don't know what it looks like, but we'll be together. It'll be fantastic. Uh, Check the time. I preached a little bit faster for first service because the people were sweltering. They were literally falling out. I thought it was the Holy Ghost, but I think it was the heat. Because um, it was so hot in that parking lot. But, but we in the air conditioning in here, so it's real nice. And you're at home, like you are you got your feet up, you know, and you got your coffee, you ain't got nothing to do. Uh, all right, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word, we thank you that it's alive, that it's active, and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, you've spoken to me and you have spoken into this word, God, I pray that it would come out, Lord. I pray that it would move through uh, the the mediums by which people are watching this morning, God, through the screen, that your spirit would come into that place, into that house or that yard or living room, wherever they may be sitting, Lord. I pray that your spirit would come through this message and change people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Samuel 21, we're going to be in verses 15 through 22, And it says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Banab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was three hundred shekels, who was (coughs) who was bearing a new sword, thought that he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jeraoragim, the Bethlehemite, Again, I've told you guys, your level of spirituality is not connected to being able to say these names. Killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was a war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shamiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of of his servants. As always, great Bible story. Uh, I think all Bible stories are great. Um, it's probably not one that you heard about in Sunday school. Uh, Sunday school is top billing, so you, certain stories get a lot of play. A lot of stories don't get any play, and and I don't think this is one that we preach a lot in Sunday school. But I think we should add it. Um, we're we're getting close to finishing talking about David in First and Second Samuel. We've been we've been really talking about David for a few years because we went through First Samuel, Second Samuel. I think we've probably have been in here for about four years or more. Uh, we're Getting ready to finish it up, Woo! I for one am really excited uh, i 'm going to do something in the new testament i haven 't decided yet, maybe Philemon, maybe Third John, um, or maybe something like that <laughs> uh, we 're doing something in the New Testament because I, for one, as much as I love god 's holy word, uh, I miss the new testament we 've been in here for a few years, uh, so i 'm excited to get to the new testament and so in the in 1 Samuel 17, we heard the story of David and Goliath. Everybody knows this story. You know the story about David and the stones and the big one. And it's a story that, that even if you're not a Christian, you know this story. It's, it's commonplace amongst people that they talk about it. David beats Goliath with a stone. And it's a story that preachers and people use to build faith. It's the one that, that, that says the small guy can take out the big guy and, and have faith. And God is big all those things. And I'm not minimizing all those things are hundred percent true, but that's a story that we use. And, and so we we get to this and we read the story of what's happening here in second Samuel 21. And we connect it for first Samuel 17. And there's a connection here because David had fought with Goliath, killed Goliath, but, and we'll get to this more later on in the sermon. What happened was is that the men of Israel chased away these other giants And then they came back and they kind of partied and stuff. And so now, a long time after that, we're seeing that they chased away the giants, but they didn't kill the giants. And so now the giants are coming back and things are about to start happening. Um, So here's what's going on in this story, just before we get into it. The Philistines are once again at war with Israel. And what's happening in this story? And, and and I'll be frank with you, I've read this story before, but when you're preaching it, it's different. You just kind of read it because, especially as you get near the end, you just want to finish the uh, the book of the Bible. And and I and I honestly, I just didn't really pay that close of attention to realize that. The sons of the Goliath that David killed are now come back and there's four of them and they want to fight David and Israel once again. And so one of these guys actually shows up with a 300 shekel weight sword and wants to fight him to avenge his father. So, you know, guys get in a fight and Abishai is there and kills some guys. There's another guy that's got a sword the size of of a weaver's beam and another one of uh, Goliath's sons that's got 12 fingers and 12 toes. And there's bedlam and wars and fighting and death and blood and all these things. Now, if I'm David and I'm in this story, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, I thought I killed Goliath. I thought, I thought that chapter and story of my life was over because, you know, I was a young boy and I had those stones and I, and I conked him in the head and everybody cheered. And, and you know, now they're talking about me in the Sunday school classes and, 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 like, I'm good. Like, why am I dealing with this again? Why, why is it that I have to once again deal with these giants? I thought I killed Goliath. I thought this thing was done and 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 a lot of time has passed. How long? I don't know. But but you have to assume that David assumed that dealing with the giants was over. I mean, if if as you've been walking through with us over the last few years, and if you haven't go online and listen to every sermon this week. Uh, but but if you've been walking through, David's life is just battle after battle after battle. I mean, he had to fight Saul for all this time and he had to fight Goliath and he had to fight Absalom. I mean, he had to fight different nations for the nation of Israel. It just seemed to be that battle and battle and battle over and over and over when it came to David and Goliath. And so if I'm, if I'm David, and I'm in this story, I'm like, Phew, more giants, huh? Once again, here we find me in the middle of a fight. Once again, how did I end up here? Well, I'll tell you why. And this message is for you this morning is that you thought that Goliath was dead, but the truth is the enemy never gives up. He never gives up. Enemies are enemies and they rarely change. They will not give up. David may have killed Goliath, but now his four sons have shown up and they want to avenge the death of their father and they are not going to give up. I mean, read the scripture, verse 15, David grew faint. Obviously, of course he grew faint. He's been fighting his whole entire life. Verse 16, the son thought he could kill David. It says in verse 18, there was again a battle. Verse 20, yet again, there was a war. Do you see this? David had killed one giant of many. They chased the other giants away, but that wasn't enough to end it. The the Philistines have been and continue to be the enemies of Israel, and they're not going to give up their attacks. The Philistines as enemies of Israel think to themselves, you know what? We're not letting Israel get away with this. Like we're not giving up. We're not going to just let this thing go. They're our enemy. We're going to attack our enemy. That's what we're going to do. I mean, think about this. Israel had been warring with Israel since the days of Saul. This wasn't a new battle with a new enemy. This is the same enemy for for probably decades that had been coming against Israel. They're not going to give up. They're not going to stop. The enemy never stops his attacks. I mean, David wrote when he was captured by the Philistines in Psalm 56 too, My enemies hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth that enemies hound us all day long? One giant slayed, you think you got a victory and more show up. It's just relentless. It just seems like it never, ever stops. (coughs) David said in Psalm 25, one, plead my case, O Lord, with those who strive against me, fight against those who fight against me. Read your Psalms. I, I, I've taught you guys the Bible reading way before. It's very easy. Read a proverb every day, read a Psalm every day, and then read a few chapters every day. Do that every day and you get your Bible reading done. You can read more, but it's it's enough to say like, I'm reading my Bible. And so when you read your Psalms every single day, you really get this sense of like, David just went through it, man. Like he just went up, came under attack all day, all the time. It just never seemed to stop. Um, David had to en- uh, endure many attacks because enemies never stop. The enemy never stops. It's the reason why first Peter five, eight says to be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And what does it mean to you, friend? You have got to wake up to the reality that the enemy does not take a day off. He doesn't observe the Sabbath. He doesn't say, he didn't say, well, you know, it's Sunday. We might as well give the Christians the day off. Let's find something else to do. No, the enemy does not sleep. Your enemies do not sleep. They do not care. They do not take a day off and they're going to relentlessly pursue you to try to attack you. It's what they do. The enemy wants and wills to do whatever he needs to do to discourage you, depress you and destroy you. It's all the enemy wants to do. He does not want you living the God life. He doesn't want you walking in joy and loving and serving and taking care of God's people. He doesn't want that for you. And so the enemy is going to do whatever he can do to discourage you. He's going to put circumstance and he's going to put people and he's going to destroy things in your life because he wants you to give up. He wants you to give up. So he's not going to take a day off. He doesn't want you to win. He doesn't want you to serve God. He doesn't want you to prosper. He doesn't even want you to be happy. He, he just—he just wants to destroy you. That's—that's that's all he deals in. And so the word is, you better stay prepared. You may have slayed one giant, but there's four sons that haven't forgot. It might take years. It might take years for those other sons to, to show up. But one day you're going to be laying in bed and thinking to yourself how awesome you are that you slayed a giant and at the foot of your bed's going to stand four of his sons saying, you know what? We have not given up in our attacks on you. We've just been waiting for the time to come and attack you. So you better stay prepared. Ephesians 6.11 says, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil And many of us know this scripture, but I think what happens is that you forget that scripture and you don't walk out that scripture, That you don't wake up every day and put on the full armor of God. And something happens in the afternoon or evening, you're getting destroyed by the enemy. And if you would have started your day with the armor of God, you would have been prepared for that enemy attack in the afternoon and the evening, but you took a day off. You took a day off and the enemy didn't. And so when he came and he attacked you, you were not prepared. We've got to live that scripture on a daily basis, because if not, you're going to wake up one day and realize that there's more enemies that are coming to attack you. Friend, listen to me. The, the, this fight never ends. It just doesn't. There, there's never going to be a day that you're going to be able to sit there and say, well, I took care of everything. <laughs> there, there used to be this person that I knew, and I, and I remember I asked him one time, I said, man, what are you working on? He goes, oh, I took care of all my stuff. I'm like, Really? Wow. You should write a book. People should read it. Call it Bible 2.0. You know what I mean? How do you not have anything that you're dealing with? How do you not have anything that you're working on? Now here, here hear my heart this morning, you don't, I don't, we don't have to be fearful. We do not have to be afraid. Isn't it funny? All the, all the sermons and songs we sang last year about not being fearful still apply this year, friend. (laughs) The one that fears a liar is still a true song right? But you have to be prepared. You can't let your guard down. I I really think that's one of the biggest problems of 2020 is that many Christians weren't prepared. They just figured their life was going to be easy. And then all of a sudden it got difficult. And all of a sudden, God isn't God because you were living the the squishy life, eating that extra scoop of ice cream. I mean, by a show of hands virtually, as you're sitting there watching on through the screen, how many of you have insurance? I would say uh, some of the worship team people in here, of course, we all have some form of insurance. You have car insurance, home insurance, casualty. You, you've got, uh, many of us have life insurance, long-term care insurance, like insurance for insurance. You, you've, got, you've got insurance on your thousand dollar cell phone for cracks and drops and spills, you get the extra insurance on the vacuum that you buy at Walmart. You know, like people get insurance. And the reason why they get insurance and the way that people sell you insurance is they say, well, something could happen one day. And then when that thing's happened, you want to be prepared. You don't want to sit there and think like, well, I didn't look ahead. And so when, when some insurance person is trying to sell you something that what they sell you is a sense of, of comfort in knowing like, if this were to happen, I'm prepared. And so we fork out our money, Hoping that we never have to use it, but it gives us a warm feeling laying in our bed at night that if our house caught on fire, we would be covered, right? How much more so do we need to be prepared spiritually? how much more so do we need to have spiritual insurance that says, well, you know, I I know that I'm good now, but I may not be good in the future. So I better be prayed up. I better, I better be where I need to be right now because I don't know what the future holds. And some people say, well, you know, pastor, God's got this. And yes, God does got this and God is going to take care of it. And God shows up and God shows grace. God helps us when we fail. God helps us when we don't prepare all those things. But wouldn't it be a better plan to just plan ahead and say, do you want, I want to be spiritual. Prepared for the next attack. I want to be emotionally prepared for the next thing that happened. So when that attack comes and that thing gets taken out of your life, or that thing gets destroyed in your life, you say, You know what? I was prayed up and prepared, and I'm ready. I put on the full armor of God, and ain't no devil gonna discourage me. Mm-hmm. First John 4, 4, You are of God little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that this morning? David won. The giants were destroyed. Israel went forward. But wouldn't have no war have been better? Like wouldn't that have been a better story? Back in 1 Samuel 17, and David went and he attacked him. And then in, in this one, it's like, and then he put his feet up and he had, you know, an extra donut and he, you know, watched something on television. I don't know. Like, it, it, I just feel like it would have been a better story than they had to go to war again and again and again. And, you know, shekel swords and beam swords and all this other stuff. See, the Bible says in John 10, 10 that the thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy that's all he comes for. Like he doesn't show up to encourage you. He doesn't come to give you good things. The only reason the enemy shows up is to steal from you, kill you and destroy you. That's all he does. I mean, Jesus even told his followers who us as well, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> that, was, that was a promise. He said, you know what guys? I just want to let you know, life is not going to be easy. It's not. You, you, you have got to get this mind, my, mindset in your mind that, that, that thinks that everything's going to be great. There's never going to be a point where you close the book and say, I, I don't have to deal with anything ever again. There's, there's, there, there's no amount of preparation. There's no amount of planning. There's no amount of fixing that you're ever going to get to a point where the enemy is going to stop attacking you. Because even when you got it set up and your fences are up and your doors are locked and you got your food shoved underneath your bed, thinking you're going to be okay, the enemy is still going to come knocking at your door, trying to attack you. He's not going to stop ever. So you cannot live with this. I thought I killed Goliath mindset. No way. It's never over. It's not over. Nothing is. Have, have, Have you not been an adult long enough to realize that life is a grind? Can I get an amen from the handful of people? This life is a grind. It. If you are not prepared, it will discourage you. You make money just to spend it. You lose weight just to gain it. You buy something just so it'll break. Yeah, like the, the, that's just the nature and character of life, man. It's a grind. You toil for stuff that breaks. And just as soon as you think that it's all good, The sons of Goliath show up and you're like, really? So excited for 2020. So excited to be like, you know what? We're just going to do this through March. It's going to do this through April, May, June, (laughs) July, (gasps) August. (laughs) There's got to be a point. This is all this nonsense is going to stop. You know what? Here, Here, let me prophesy You could take your masks off, no restrictions tomorrow, and the enemy will still find a way to discourage you. He will still find a way to ruin your life. He'll still find a way. It'll just be something else. Live with an expectancy of an attack. Don't take a day off. Complacency signals to the enemy to come and attack. Secondly, you think you thought Goliath was dead? you got to get out the root, man. You got to get out the root. See, here's the truth is that David should have killed Goliath and all of his brothers when he had the chance. That's what he should have done. If you read back in first Samuel 17, it says that they chased the Philistines and killed some of their wounded, but they didn't destroy them all. They just chased them away and thought it meant victory. And it says that they went back and they plundered their tents and then they threw themselves a party and they thought, man, woo, we won. Because we beat the Goliath, killed some of the wounded, and the others ran away, and so we won. So let's go back and party and, and, and say that we're so excited. How would this story have been different, the one that we're talking about today, if the Israelites would have destroyed the giants when they had the chance? What if in 1 Samuel 17, it says, and David killed killed Goliath, Israel chased down his whole entire group of giants. They killed them. They beheaded them. They destroyed every giant in the land. They found their friends and they told them if you come back, we're coming after you as well. And don't you ever come back and get us. We wouldn't even have this story to us today at all, but they didn't destroy them when they had the chance. So the sons of the giant came back. Why? Because they did not destroy the enemy when, he, when, when they had the chance. You know, it, it's, and, and I'm not going to get an international diplomacy, but here's the truth. In 1991, when General Schwarzkopf went and cleared uh, Iraq out of Kuwait, he was driving towards Baghdad because he wanted to destroy Iraq and take them off the map. And he got called back to stop uh, destroying uh, and going through Iraq. And, and so it's the reason why we had all the other wars that went on is because when Schwarzkopf, Storm and Norman had the chance back in 91 to continue the drive into Iraq and take out Saddam during that time, he didn't do it. And so what we saw was decades and years of more killing and war, because when they had the opportunity to kill the enemy, they didn't do it. They didn't take that opportunity. Isn't that just like our enemy, our sin? If we don't destroy it completely, it comes back. It's a reason why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.21 to not give place to the devil, but people do. Yeah. People figure, well, I killed the biggest Goliath. What could happen? Yeah. Let's let the other ones flee. Let's let the other ones live and just let them keep on living. We got the big one. We got the Goliath. You guys, Remember we killed the big one? The guy in the stone and, whew, and he threw it and it was good. What could happen? You know, those guys ran away. What could happen? Just let them live and flee we got the big one. They're going to know that they can't come at us because we got the big one. There's no need to finish the job. But now we see it. The, the, the sons of the Goliath always come back and they always want their pound of flesh. They never, they never say like, well, we're afraid because you killed the big one. No, they say, do you know what? I don't care that you killed the big one because we're an enemy. And this is all we do is attack. And so when you least expect it, we're coming back because you didn't destroy us. The enemy never gives up. You have to destroy it all. The big one, the small one, and all of his brothers. You have to be relentless in the destruction of the enemy. You have to. It's just what it takes. Now, I am not a gardener. That's not what I do. But I do have a little, small, little lawn. And if you've ever had a lawn and you cared about your lawn, and I did care about my lawn. I haven't for the last two months, but I did. And and what, what's interesting about a lawn, if you've ever had to deal with that thing, I don't know why. I think it's just so God would give me sermon examples. Everywhere you try to grow grass, it won't grow. And then everywhere you don't want grass to grow, it grows. And then like weeds, I don't care what happens. Weeds always come back. I don't get it, man. I really don't. Um, it, it, it just, it, it's an exercise in futility. I want to do the AstroTurf plan like Pastor Butcher got, Pastor Birch got AstroTurf. It's awesome. Uh, or or uh, green concrete. That's the other one. I, I just do green concrete. But here's what I have learned over time is that I found this product uh, at one of the box stores and, and I can go out in the morning. And if there's weeds in the cracks of my uh, driveway, I can shoot it with this thing. Bro, it's amazing. Uh, by like three, four hours later, it starts to die, and then, like a day later, it turns white and it 's awesome here 's the problem though is that it seems that it just takes like another couple weeks, and the weed comes back and and so uh, there, there's some people that work in landscaping in our church and they 've told me they said, "You want, pastor, you need to get a pre emergent and what a pre emergent does is that a pre emergent will actually Kill the weed before it even grows, before it has a chance to grow. And so if you spray a pre-emergent on it, it keeps the weed from even starting. Here's the problem. The box stores do not sell a pre-emergent. It may, it not to their benefit to sell you a pre-emergent because you'll use it once and not come back. They want to sell you the way to kill the weeds on the surface So you get a false sense of security believing that I've eradicated the weeds in my driveway. And then you go back inside and a couple days later, when you're going out to your car, like, wait a minute, I thought I killed that weed. I thought I destroyed it, but you didn't. You just killed the surface. You didn't get down to the root. You've got to buy a pre-emergent and it's hard to buy a pre-emergent because they cost more money and you have to go to a specialty store. I've honestly known this for years. And I still haven't gone to the store and found this thing because I'm, I'm a lazy homeowner like everybody else. I love the false sense of security of shooting the surface, believing that I eradicated. It's a sermon for me today, I guess. There's a spiritual example here. Are you guys getting it? Do I have to explain it? I will. The sins in your life are, are, are never going to go away if you don't get to the root. The, spraying the surface killer, thinking that you got it, is not going to fix the problem. James one fifteen, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. What does it mean to you? You have to destroy all the sin in your life, all of it. You, you can't leave anything undone. You can't just take care of the big sin in your life and expect that it's enough because his sons are coming. The four sons of Goliath are going to come. And so you can't just take the big one and think that the little ones are going to magically go away. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. How does that look on the big screen? Leave that up there. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness. Leave that up. Uh, holiness in the fear of God. Now, now here's what's interesting about this. Leave that, leave that scripture up there. Here's, here's how filthiness works. And it's, it's interesting because if you watch filthiness is connected to the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit, you got the flesh and the spirit. And here's what happens is that the, the, the flesh is the action of the sin and the spirit is the intent of the heart that creates the sin. And so what happens with people is that they will solve the action of the sin without solving the heart of the sin. And so like people that uh, watch pornography will stop watching pornography, but they won't solve the lust problem in their heart. And so they end up going back to or even worse sins because they did not solve the spirit problem. They just solved the flesh problem. They figured, well, I slayed the giant of the action, but I didn't take out the brothers of the intent of the heart. You know, I, I I had a problem with stealing that I stopped, but I didn't get envy and covetousness out of my heart. I I I didn't I didn't decide and say you know I'm going to stop beating people up, and I didn't get the anger and frustration out of my heart. It's the same reason why drug abusers that stop using drugs and don't fix the self-loathing uh, parts of their hearts will go back to drugs and alcohol because they didn't solve the issue. They just stopped the action, and, and, and stopping the action is the Goliath. But then going and stopping the thing of the heart is the killing of the four brothers. It's the getting out the root, and this is the hard work of being a Christian. Is the heart change? Man, stopping an action is easy. I can make you stop an action. What I can't do is I can't change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so we have to do the hard work to go before and lay ourselves before God and say, Father, if there be any iniquity in me, if there be anything inside of me that needs to change father reveal those things inside of me and 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 remove those things from my heart so that i can live for you and you alone and and people will say to me and i get it man if you're watching this you attend this church people say either to my face or behind my back they'll be like you know man that guy preaches about sin so much and i do and i will continue to It, it will it will be something that i will talk about forever and once you're sinless you don't have to listen anymore. Okay. You can go walk on water and be fine. But, but here's what I have learned throughout years of ministry is that people that do not destroy the small sins in their lives. They always come back for their pound of flesh. They always do. And it costs them more than they thought it destroys more than they thought it requires. Like you take all these years to get to where and then it gets destroyed and, and it just doesn't go well. I do not subscribe to this idea that that, that people can't fall away from serving God. I've been serving him for 30 years and I've seen it more times than I can count. People that are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, living for God. I know they're saved. And little by little by little, they fall back in destruction because they refuse to attack the small sins. And they pridefully believe that I took care of the big sins and I'm good. And it's wrong. All filthiness, all filthiness needs to be destroyed. Job 14.4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. There's no one that can dabble in sin and sinfulness and come out clean. No one, none of us. That's why 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, what accord has Christ with Bilal? What, what part has an unbeliever with a believer? The answer is none. Have nothing to do with any of it. Pull out the root and destroy it. It's the only option. It's the only way. It's the only plan. And I get it, man. It's hard work. It's not easy. That's why many people want to take the easy route. But it is worth it. It's worth it. Numbers 32, 23 says that you should be sure that your sin will find you out. And it will. Whatever we do not destroy will always come back. It always will. And so the only answer is, is that when given the opportunity to destroy that thing and pull that root out, we've got to do the hard work of pulling it out. We have to. It's the only way. Revelation 21, 8 says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And just like Goliath's son coming back, Friend, sin will come back if you do not destroy it. You kill Goliath and his sons run. You better chase down his sons and cut their heads off, destroy every bit of it, or he's going to come back. Now, here's the third point. You thought you killed Goliath. You need the help of others. You need the help of others. You can't let up, okay? Because the enemy never stops. You need to get out the root but the worst thing that any one of us can do, myself included, is to think that you are going to slay Goliath and his family on your own. Gosh, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There, there, there is—I I cannot, excuse me, I won't say that because it's too definitive. The idea of individual Christianity is one of the greatest heresies that's destroying the Christian and the local church. The idea to think that I am a lone ranger and I can make it on my own, that I do not need other people. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to believe that because he wants you to be destroyed. I have yet to meet a demonstrative follower of Christ who lives on their own and isn't connected to a local church. They'll lie to themselves and lie to me and lie to you and tell you that they're good, but I've never met one yet. I've never met one yet at all. It's prideful to think that you can make it through this life on your own. David may have slew Goliath on his own. Watch this, watch this. First Samuel 17, David slew Goliath on his own. But when we get here to Second Samuel 21, the only way that he was able to destroy Goliath, uh, all of Goliath's kin is with the help of other people. He couldn't do it on his own. When David killed Goliath and all these other ones come back, the people didn't step back and say, oh, David knows how to do this. He killed Goliath. They actually, it's quite the opposite. They say, the scriptures say that David was weary and he was growing faint. And they pulled David back and said, David, we've got this. You sit back here and let us fight for you. Let us take care of this this time for you. You did your fight. You, 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 you can't do this one on his own. One against one, fine. One against four, no way. You're going to lose. Let us step in. Let us take care of it. Here we go. Watch this, verse 17. There it is again. For those of you that are members of Faith of Victory, but Abishai. <laughs> I told I you, man, it's one of these days I'm going to preach at someone else's church and I'm going to write a sermon, but Abishai. Because Abishai, man, he's a G, like he is a gangster, this guy. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Abishai, man, there he is again. This dude will not let up. Everyone, we've just been walking through first and second Sam, but Every once in a while, Abishai just shows up like, I'm here, what y'all need? <laughs> Uh, what, what are we doing? I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> can we, can we, uh, this is a different sermon, but can we all just be an Abishai every once in a while to somebody? And can, can we all just get an Abishai every once in a while? Because every, Abishai wasn't perfect. He had a lot of bumps and bruises. He acted in haste many times, but I kind of like it. Because uh, <laughs> every time you turn around, even not perfectly Abishai still is around helping David. He he strikes the Philistine, and then David's men say, "And just stay back, David. We got this." And folks, watch this. And and here's the principle. And and I love the Lord, and I love His word because God revealed this to me this week. And I, I and you probably know this because you're better than me, but but I saw it for the first time in Genesis and, and, and Genesis is the beginning, right? Uh, first and second chapter, there's so much, well, actually a lot of problems of our world could be solved if people would live out the theology of Genesis one and two. And here's a theology of Genesis chapter two that, that I just, I knew, but I missed is that it says in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, and, and this is a principle of God from the beginning. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. And and we we use that scripture at weddings and we talk about it with our spouses. I praise God for my spouse. Thank you, Jesus. But the principle is not just in marriage, the principle is God looked at the man that he created and said, You know what, man? You are never going to make it alone. You are not. At the beginning of the foundations of the universe, God looked at the creation man that he made and God in his wisdom looked and said, do you know what, man? You are not going to make it alone. You're not. And then so if God spoke that to Adam, why do we believe thousands of years later that somehow we're better than Adam that was put in a sinless world that, that somehow we're going to make it. Oh, well, Adam, Adam did, couldn't make it on his own. God looked at him and said, you're not going to make it on your own, but I'm stronger than Adam. I'm stronger than the first creation that was placed in a sinless world that, that God looked down and said, you're not going to make it without somebody else, but you think in your grandiose, prideful self that somehow you're better than Adam and you're going to make it on your own. P. Shaw. God is that a bad word? No. Should I not have said that? Oh okay there's those Christian swears. don't do it. get the root out. all right, so <laughs> even great and mighty Moses, even great and mighty Moses, let me show you this in Exodus. Many of you know Moses in in Exodus chapter uh, seventeen verse twelve says this. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Even mighty Moses needed the help of other people. Even mighty Moses grow weary. Don't think you're better than Adam. Don't think you're better than Moses. Don't, don't think that for one minute. Are you still living under these false ideas that you're going to make it on your own? Friend, you need others. I need others. You need your church. I need our church. You need the body. You need friends. All of us, myself included. I need friends. I need family. I need my church. I'm, I'm not going to make it on my own. The Bible says in in Philippians 2 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That was Paul speaking to the Philippian church saying, You know what, man? If you're only thinking about yourself, that's not good. You've got to think about everybody. If you're only thinking about yourself, you're doing it wrong. You doing life alone was not God's plan, it never was. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that if you believe that you're supposed to live life unto yourself, disconnected to a local church and you're calling yourself a Christian, you are in sin and you need to find a local church. And I understand in the COVID that we have virtual church and, and it's great and I love you, but as soon as you can, and even if you're virtual, like whether you're here or somewhere else, you can get in the zoom calls and you can connect with people until we can be able to get back together. I'm not saying that big picture. I know you're picking it up. Okay. These are giants, sons of giants, weary people need your support. I mean, again, David was a mighty warrior. He was a guy that slayed Goliath and bears, but even here he needed other people. He couldn't make it on his own. So here, here's my, my uh, uh, homework for you this week as we're getting ready to close. Spend some time this week thinking about who you can build up. Spend some time thinking about who you can encourage. Think about someone you know. Maybe it's someone at church because, you know, if, if you haven't been able to come to church that you can call someone from the church and just say like, hey man, I'm thinking about you. And hey, let's, let's hang out together. And, and you can actually do a video call on Facebook or Zoom or uh, through your phones. You know, you halfway Christians that have iPhones can do a FaceTime. You know, uh, I mean, you can, you can do it. It's possible. Just open up your phone and sit there and have a video chat with somebody. I'm not asking for me. I don't need it. Not this week. That was last week that I needed it. <laughs> last week, uh, parking lot service really stepped up and encouraged me and Crystal in a big way. And and, and I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be fleshly and, and pretend I didn't. Man, I was so weary last week. I, I've, I've been so unbelievably weary for... I mean, well, I was already weary because of managing a church during COVID and then I got it and then... <laughs> and then it, and then it, like, woo, and it was just bad. And so, man, I was at the end of my feeble rope. And, and the church last week stepped up in a big way and just ministered. And you know what it took? It took about 90 seconds, about 90 seconds for my church to say, you are not alone. And we are with you in this. And I've been like a man on fire all week long because I know I'm not alone. But the devil will do that. He'll tell you stuff in your head. You're doing it alone. Nobody likes you and you suck and all those things. And then People that listen to the Holy Spirit say, you know what? I think our pastor might be discouraged. Let's encourage him and his wife. And then we come out like, whoop, let's go. I mean, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so I leave you with this this morning. Find someone to love and support this week. Maybe it's someone in your house. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone within the church. But man, nobody's supposed to make it alone. And if you've been walking alone and, and you've been prideful, raise your hand to somebody and say, well, man, I've been sinful and thinking I can do it alone. I need help. I need love. I need encouragement. I, 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 I've been in the wrong place. I mean, Jesus said to his disciples last scripture, John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's live that out this week, amen? Let's live believing that the enemy never takes a day off. Let's stay prepared. Secondly, if you've got some sin in your life, get the root out. Uh, Don't just take off the service one. Lastly, let's live a a life with each other, not living a life as individuals because that was never God's design, amen? Amen, I wanna uh, end this service this morning. You can play, Renee. Um, If you are watching this live stream and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you today to become one. And it's very easy. All you have to do is you have to call out to God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins in the name of Jesus. You have to turn away from your sins because you can't actively sin and ask forgiveness at the same time. So you turn away from those sins in your heart and you say, you know what, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm going to live for you. God will forgive you right away, right away, instantaneously. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Then you begin to live for him. Read your Bible, find a church, live for him. Uh, Find a good church. (laughs) Um, And then you become a Christian. So if you need to pray that prayer today, just pray, get on your knees, crowd to God, say, Lord, forgive me, save me, set me free, and he will. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, shoot us a message, give us a phone call, let us know that you did it. We have some materials that we'd love to send you. For the rest of us that are watching this this morning, again, we wanna live a life of preparation. Don't take a day off, the enemy doesn't. If you know there's something in your life that you need to pull out, Man, destroy it. Don't let it live. Destroy it. And thirdly, if, if we're living our hearts as individuals, we want to confess that sin and say, God, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to. I want to live a life that's pleasing you. And so you reach out. You build friendships. You join a church. Uh, you, you live life as God intended in community. That's what he designed. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it, it touched our hearts this morning, God. God, we will not live believing that we slayed Goliath because it's just not true. Uh, we've got to live out your whole word that's why you've got to read the Bible in context. One little story isn't enough. You've got to read the whole thing. And so God, we pray that we would live that out today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching today and being a part of this. Again, I, I, I it's not my fault, but I'm sorry that we have to do things this way, but we are still connected. I still love you. Um, and we're going to get through this. We're going to get, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know that God is big and God is good. And so stay safe, drink water. Uh, Stay cool today. We love you and we will uh, talk to you later this week. Have a great Sunday.